We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, October 24, 2022, as we bring you a new episode. There's news, rumors, and gossip to talk about. The Philadelphia Phillies won the National League pennant. How crazy is that? The National League sixth seed shocked the Cardinals and then shocked the Braves and now shocked the Padres, winning the NLCS in five games. We'll talk about the Phillies later in the show as Bryce Harper is having one hell of a postseason run. But when it comes to the White Sox, all eyes are still on the managerial search, and there's a lot of gossip on what's going on. Are the White Sox close to making a hire? Let's start the show there, and joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and Jim, how's curling season treating you? It's going pretty well. Um, actually, uh, in Nashville, a couple of curlers who are nationally ranked have moved down to Nashville to do some work, so I've gotten to play a little bit with you know guys who compete nationally against some of the best teams and world-ranked teams, and I'm learning just about how unforgiving the margin for error is against those kinds of players. And so it's, mm. it alternates between having some good weeks and then being very, very humbled. And it's, it's ultimately <laughs> educational. Like I'm learning a lot. I'm learning just, you know, exactly how, you know, what I'm doing wrong, like just what kind of shots they can make that, you know, on a reliable basis. And yeah, it just doesn't make me feel good about myself, but it does make me feel like I'm learning an awful lot. So you're still far away from us seeing you in the winter Olympics. Oh yeah. I mean like, and I, I watch that on TV and say like, you know, oh, how do you, they even see those shots that they're calling. And now I'm getting like, and you know, these are, these guys are, are wiping the floor with me or can, you know, we split up in different teams and such, but like if they're all matching my one team to destroy, they would destroy us. And then those are the guys who can't quite get to the top level. It's like playing, uh, basketball against somebody who played like division two or something like that. And mm. you, you, you see the moves that they can pull on like a pickup court and be like, how are they not division one? Then you realize like how good those guys are. And then the division <laughs> one guys who don't make, you know, 
even the D League. <laughs> you know, just you know, the, you understand the tears better when you get uh, smoked by somebody who uh, gets smoked by other people. Like you realize just the the the, the strata of uh, talent out there. Well, fingers crossed, you can still represent Team USA in 2030, Jim. That's what we're rooting for. Make it happen. Uh, all right, the White Sox managerial gossip. There are some social media accounts reported this past week that Houston Astros bench coach Joe Espada will be the next White Sox manager. Shortly later, there are those tweeting that Joe Espada will not be the next White Sox manager. So, Jim, I did what any respectable content creator or journalist would do, and I started to ask people I know within the White Sox, and boy, they did not help bring any clarity. There are those who believe that Espada is the White Sox number one target, and there are those saying that Espada will not be the next White Sox manager because he's part of the Houston Astros and Jerry Reinsdorf is not very fond of that organization. Here's what I know for sure, though, Jim. Espada will be a manager in 2023. According to Craig Mish of the Miami Herald, he's reporting that the Miami Marlins three finalists for their managerial opening is Espada, Tampa Bay Rays bench coach Matt Quatero, and Cardinals bench coach Skip Shoemaker. There's also the thought if the Houston Astros win the World Series, Dusty Baker could walk away as he doesn't have a contract for 2023, and Espada could take over for the Astros. And there's also the thought, and it's very loud, coming out of New York, is that the Yankees will move on from Aaron Boone if they don't win the World Series this year, which opens up another possibility for Espada, who was a third base coach for the Yankees just a few years ago. So you got the Marlins, the White Sox, and possibly the Astros and Yankees gig for Joe Espada to leverage for himself and get the best deal possible. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about timing of a hire, Jim. Do you think the White Sox will wait until the Houston Astros season is over to officially make a move. Well, I mean, it's maybe not just the Astros, if you believe that the White Sox are also interested in Kevin Long, uh, Philadelphia's hitting coach. Like, he's been rumored to be a possible candidate tied to different jobs. It seemed looser than, like, say, the guys who have been said to have interviewed or have scheduled an interview. But, you know, given that we don't hear much about hitting coaches being named manager, it's really, like, the only way... Like, say if the White Sox or some team wanted to get Long's brain into the organization, that's really the only way to do it, right? Which is, you know, either probably a bench coach, which is a promotion, or getting the kind of top job. So, I mean, theoretically, he's somebody there. Uh, a thought I honestly did not have until just now when you're talking about it. What if the White Sox are waiting on Dusty? Huh, okay. <laughs> All right, let's do that. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting thought. He doesn't have a contract next season. So, yeah, Dusty Baker is going to be a managerial free agent if he still Possibly. wants to manage. Yeah, that Houston's uh, situation is weird with theoretically or you know, reportedly, supposedly ownership wanting more credit. And so James Click is uh, the, you know, the current GM, uh, the GM post Jeff Lunau uh, cleaning up that mess is supposedly not on safe ground. And Dusty Baker does not have an extension. So that's weird but yeah it just came to mind like well what if they're waiting on dusty like if dusty can move on and it seems like based on his love for the game i haven't heard anything about like baker being like you know the ring is the only thing he's going for he seems like he genuinely loves managing and being involved like so it would strike me as a case where maybe he retires but also maybe he doesn't and he's somebody who has basically done an 
a, a serviceable or great job at every place he's been. You know, some managers or some teams might say like, oh, he wasn't a great manager in the uh, postseason that I watched. But like in terms of just regular season, like the task at hand, getting your team to the win total they're projected to win. He's generally pretty good at that. So, you know, if like he still wants to be in there, like I, I think this this tenure with the Astros has really shown that, you know, he's somebody who can still do that. Yeah, he's still got the chops to be a very effective and successful manager. You know, the rumors out of Houston and the reporting about this particular situation is that out of the two, if it is a power struggle, ownership is leaning towards keeping Dusty Baker and finding a new general manager. Hmm. I mean, I think, was it Walt Jockety for the Cardinals who got fired after the Cardinals won the World Series in 2006, if I recall? Yeah, he would be the guy. Yeah, he would have been the guy in charge. Right. So it doesn't happen often where a GM could win the World Series and get a World Series ring and then not be renewed. I, I guess, I don't know if you call it firing, but they don't have a contract. <laughs> so they're mm-hmm. a free agent to be a GM uh, elsewhere, which I'm sure other teams and other franchises would be interested in hiring James Click, especially with the work that he's done to keep this uh, Astros machine rolling uh, as they are in the American League Championship Series for the sixth straight year. But now that you read up Dusty Baker, who knows, Jim? I mean, really, (laughs) who knows what is going on with the White Sox with this managerial search? If Espada is the White Sox number one target. And as I mentioned in this podcast episode, if you follow me on Twitter, at SoxMachine underscore Josh, you know that is my number one preference for the White Sox. Do you think it's imperative that the White Sox offer whatever Espada wants to be the next manager, or should they focus more on finding a manager that fits their comfort level when it comes to the amount of years and money that they would be paying the next manager? I don't know if he'd be somebody who, you know, basically it seems like managerial contracts, teams generally seem to have a rough idea or rough equivalency of what to pay a manager when you hear about like what the elite managers make you know kind of like the joe girardi joe madden whenever somebody gets fired and they're making like four to six million like nobody says like wow that's a lot of money just that's a lot of money for a proven manager but then like you know i think down a rung you start getting to like the you know mid-tier managers maybe like bob melvin was one of those until recently but you know he was you know two million plus range then like the you know starting managers kind of get two million maybe a little bit below so I don't know if you're going to get into like a bidding war from a manager. I think like it's a case like I look at it more in terms of, you know, I rank the managerial openings, you know, before like Bruce Bochy went to the Texas Rangers and I had the Rangers as the second best job available after the Blue Jays. If the Blue Jays didn't retain John Schneider, which they did. Uh, Then I had the White Sox behind the Rangers and I just thought like, well, you know, it's a case where they have a new GM. So the new GM will want a manager to work his first hire to work. There'll be some runway. They have payroll. They had a lot of bad luck this past year. So simple regression gets them some of the way. So it seems like this could be a favorable situation for a manager to walk into. Whereas like a manager uh, inheriting the White Sox situation could be inheriting a situation crumbling on him. Like, and, and things could get gross if they're tapped out in payroll and the farm system isn't ready to contribute really. And uh, the front office isn't going anywhere. Like it could get a messy, but then a tier below that is the Marlins, you know, and the Marlins are just staring at the division and uh, they, you know, their signings worked out really poorly. And, you know, it's a case where Kim Eng is safe now, but you know, if they have a season like they did last year, 
I don't know if any GM, yeah, it's a case where like, you know, we're used to the White Sox not firing anybody, but I think any team with two disappointing seasons like that in a row could face a front office turnover. So that's a case where like after one year, that manager might not get a grace period. So like the White Sox job, I think is probably good enough to separate itself from the Royals, from the Marlins and being a case of like they can win now and, uh, or like, yeah, maybe not win now the way the Astros are winning now, but win now in, in case of not inheriting a complete disaster if the manager, you know, has a pulse, which, you know, I think Tony LaRusa didn't for a lot of the season. So I don't think there's gonna be a bidding war. I think it's usually three years, two million per, you know, roughly is kind of like the going rate for a manager who is in somewhat demand but hasn't proven anything. So I, I don't know if there will be that much separation, especially since like Tony LaRusa, according to Bob Nightingale, is making four million a year. So I mean and he won't be making that money because he's retired. So it's not like they have to pay him the rest of the contract unless like Reinsdorf engineered a buyout, which is, you know, his problem, not the White Sox, theoretically. Do you think, though, Espada could leverage the Miami job to get a better contract with the White Sox? <laughs> it didn't work for Ozzy, did it? <laughs> uh, not particularly. It yeah. did not. until I mean, I guess it was working all right until he mentioned Fidel Castro. And then it did not work at all. Yeah, no, I, I don't think, yeah, I think it's a case where a guy like a spot, yeah, I don't know if he can command that much. Because, you know, there are a lot of decent first-time candidates out there. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, Quattraro is one of them. Uh, Carlos Beltran, who, you know, if you can hold your nose, uh, and the Red Sox certainly do with like Alex Cora, like, you know, he might be a decent candidate, you know, and, and down the line, like Ron Washington's a good candidate for like a, a bounce back rejuvenation type. And like, there are a few a number of guys, like I'm not set on a spot just because George Lombard's another one. Like just a lot of guys who might surprise either by getting a situation that, uh, you know, might be tailor made for somebody with the skills like around Washington, you know, kind of teaching defense and, and, and trying to really urge players to be the best, you know, positive, but also like, staying on players for not being as good as they can be. Like, I think that's Ron Washington's, you know, kind of strong suit. Uh, But also you have some guys who are promising, uh, I guess, next generation manager candidates. And so like, there are a lot of good ones out there. So, you know, that's why I I don't think like a spot is necessarily somebody, you know, worth winning a bidding war over. If you feel like you go through the process and have two or three guys you like, you know, it's not worth like, you know, um, you know, getting off on a wrong foot with. But it does circle back to timing. Like, when will the White Sox hire Mm -hmm. a manager? Obviously, the Texas Rangers did not wait. Chris Young, who pitched under Bruce Bochy, hired Bruce Bochy. And that's something I was thinking about is how often has that happened where a ex-player becomes a baseball executive and hires their former manager (laughs) to manage the team Hmm. that they run now. I'm sure it it hasn't happened often, but that's the situation in Texas with Chris Young. I guess as far as timing, I, I am citing to the White Sox to wait after the World Series to to make an announcement. They may know who they are hiring, but we will not officially know shortly after the World Series. There are some that believe that the White Sox could make an announcement before the end of October, which obviously would mean before the uh, the World Series ends. How are you feeling about that, Jim? If you had to guess... Do you think the White Sox are going to await after the World Series or could we be getting news maybe even this week that they're going to be hiring a new manager? I'm thinking if I had to bet, I don't have strong sense because, yeah, just everything's been all over the place. But I think I would say after the World Series, just because there are a number of candidates, especially like with the Braves, 
uh, exiting early to where like, if they wanted to hire a guy, they could hire a guy now, like Mike Schultz, another one where if they wanted to hire Mike Schultz, nothing is stopping Good the White point. Sox from hiring Mike Schultz and just getting on with their business of hiring a coaching staff if they want to swap out some guys. So if they're waiting now, it certainly you know points to hiring somebody from one of the staffs that's still in play. So that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm leaning, but uh, you know, with the White Sox introducing other candidates into the mix right now that, uh, you know, we might not want to see, it's, it's really hard to say. And I don't really want to get my, you know, it's also partially, you know, a defense mechanism. I don't want to get my hopes up for the White Sox hiring like one of these credible candidates from a team because <laughs> I can see them pulling the football again. And there's no reason to say that they won't because they always do up to this point. Well, let's talk about pulling the football. Let's talk about Ozzie Guillen. Mm. While White Sox fans were getting excited at social media about the Espada rumors, another name surfaced as NBC Sports Chicago is reporting that former White Sox manager Ozzie Guillen will be interviewing for the opening this week. Back to the people I, I asked within the White Sox about Espada while they painted a very hazy and confusing picture of the situation. They were anonymous, Jim, when I asked him if Ozzie Guillen was a serious candidate for the White Sox opening by saying no, not with Kenny Williams still part of the organization. Unanimous or not? Or were they anonymously unanimous? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Unanimously anonymous by saying no. So is this like a case where like, because when they interviewed... Or when Tony La Russa, I don't even know if they interviewed him actually, like in a proper interview sense, or if it, the interview was just Jerry Ronsdorf saying, come on, come on, come on, <laughs> it'll be fun, come on. <laughs> like that might have been the entire interview, but uh, like when they were floating his name, I thought that that was like a courtesy thing, like, oh, this is just a friend doing a favor, like if La Russa wants to get back and, you know be a candidate for jobs like at the White Sox, considering him for an opening that's surely going to an A.J. Hinch or somebody like that. Uh, you know, just the fact that they gave him some some time will maybe make other team other teams think he's available for a job, and then sure enough, they hire him without, you know, they, they interviewed Willie Harris for, you know, kind of reasons that are less than savory, but uh, that's kind of about it. So in this case, like, uh, yeah, it's hard to trust, but, I'm, you know, maybe that's a case where they just want to, yeah, I, mean, I don't like that's really the only benefit because it doesn't even really benefit. Like, I thought it was, there's more of a benefit of Rick Hahn saying last time that, you know, Ozzie Gein is not a candidate, just a late to rest. Like, that was just nice and transparent and cut and dried. Like, just it was fine. Like, you know, that seemed to be healthier than this kind of show me interview if it is indeed a show me interview and not like a uh, actual, like, end around, which it very well could be. Uh, cause as we saw with Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams using the passive voice to talk about Tony LaRusso, like they will take a hire if it's voiced upon them. Yes, that is true. If Ozzy becomes a serious candidate, then this is Jerry Reinsdorf. Like I'll just say this right now. It's Jerry Reinsdorf doing what Jerry did by hiring Tony LaRusso, hijacking the entire process. And then he's making the decision Nah, I want I want Ozzy to come back to to manage my team again, and just completely <laughs> disrupt everything that Rick Hahn's been working on since the regular season's been over. Since he knew that Tony the Rooster was, was retiring, I think the chances are very high that Miguel Cairo. We haven't talked much about Miguel Cairo about the opening, but I don't think Miguel Cairo is going to be the next White Sox manager. But here's Ozzy Gian now. And his name has surfaced. And I put out a poll 
Sox. And I asked our followers, pick one to be next White Sox manager. Now, I purposely did not put Joe Espada because what if Espada is not available? And I want to know, like, out of these three that we have heard that they're going to be interviewing or have interviewed with the White Sox, for our followers, want to be the next manager between Ozzie Guillen, Ron Washington, and Royals bench coach Pedro Griffel. And Ozzie Guillen, out of 1,839 votes, got 48% of the vote. And that just tells me, Jim, that 48% of our followers do not recall what happened in 2011. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, partially, like, Ozzy has done a good job of rehabilitating himself through the postgame show. Like, he does good work there. Uh, it's, you know, it's worth tuning in to watch what he says. But it's also the kind of thing where he's used it to, like, rehabilitate himself, like, in terms of with his tough talk and, like, you know, just hearing, like, well, Ozzy wouldn't have let this team happen. It's just, like... In 2011, Ozzie Guillen gave Adam Dunn, Alex Rios, and Juan Pierre 1,777 plate appearances to be the three worst players on the White Sox. Adam Dunn would, you know, with uh, 16 more plate appearances, would have set the record by far for the lowest batting average in, you know, recorded Major League Baseball history. Batting 159. Like Alex Rios was two wins below replacement. You know, Juan Pierre was the leadoff man. Uh, locked in no matter what. And, and Ozzy would not uh, go away from that, even though he was, he couldn't hit for power, couldn't play defense and was an inefficient base dealer. Like those three guys got 1,777 plate appearances between the three of them when better options were available on the bench and in AAA. So Ozzy has shown that he will play guys who aren't performing to make a point uh, or because he doesn't care or because he's lining up a job elsewhere. Like it's, but also like I, I, there's an article I would recommend reading uh, in the New Yorker by Ben McGrath from 2012 uh, with Ozzy, his first month with the Marlins. And it's just, yeah, I, I read it just the other day because I wanted to remember like, is was as bad as I remember it being like, am I just selectively remembering anecdotes uh, that stood out, but the entire article was like, you know, just more, more measured and no, it, it, it's exhausting. Just reading the entire uh, act, you know, and just the way he took a major league managerial job for granted saying like, he can't wait for the off season. Can't wait to go on vacation. Uh, can't wait to be, you know, look, you know, if they fire him, he'll be making money for nothing. Like just, he, he really, uh, you know, we saw what the white Sox saw at the Marlins. Like he enjoyed performing, uh, about not caring. Like, I think he cared more than he let on. It's like, kind of like a slacker. Like, oh, I wasn't trying, you know, like if I fail, it's because I wasn't trying or because I didn't care or because the players failed me because the players going to win the world series. Not me. If you have to have meetings, it's a bad team, which is partially true, but also like a reflection of like, Oh yeah. If I care too much, then I'm failing versus if I, if I hold myself at a remove, uh, there's theoretically more I could give. And so like, you know, it's, it's not me putting my best effort, not being good enough. So just like, but the entire thing, you know, with Joey core running the practices and, yeah, you know, uh, appearances. Yeah. You know, and I remember like at the end of the Ozzie tenure in, in Miami, like, uh, Miami Marlins executives were frustrated by his kids always being around. And that was in the, the feature also in the New Yorker article, just like, it's just exhausting. And I think, you know, if, if things went poorly, it, everybody remember why it was exhausting. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, with this job, you have to have somebody who cares and will always care. We'll be guaranteed to care. Uh, we'll be guaranteed to 
have a certain amount of pride in it, which uh, Ozzy lost somewhere along the way. And I don't know if he's regained it. Well, the tough thing is with Ozzy is that he can't be somebody's bench coach. Like he cannot work his way up, work his way back into good graces by showing once like everybody go to him for a quote. Like, and he could not hold his tongue, resist slamming a player. Like, you know, say like if you're a manager and you're trying to like, you know, be very cautious about how you're talking about a player who might be hurt or might be going through something off field or might be, you might be feuding with a little bit, but ultimately want to keep them involved. Like, you know, just imagine like going to Ozzy for a quote and Ozzy just, you know, saying it how it is. And all of a sudden, like, you know, the manager has to put up that fire. Like he cannot get other jobs uh, that would show that he's dedicated doing work for better or for worse. Like he's shown that he has to be the top dog when he lost the white Sox job. That could be, you know, cause I understand like, you know, and we're fully aware that Kenny Williams is not great at his job either. Like nobody in the white Sox leadership ranks should have their jobs anymore. So this is not a case of Kenny was right. Ozzy is wrong. Like they all ran their course. And the fact that Kenny is here 11 years after he ran his course, probably uh, just shows just, you know, how deep sea of the white Sox problems are. I, I think I leaned towards Kenny before just because like he showed a certain amount of embarrassment for how bad the 2011 team was going. Whereas Ozzy never did like Ozzy just wanted to keep sending out a bad product to rub everybody's, you know, his boss's noses and how bad the the product was instead of actually like trying to make it better for the customers. Uh, and, and so like, at least I could detect some sense of shame from the front office to where like I took their side because at least, you know, as a customer, I wanted to hear like somebody trying to make it right. <laughs> somebody trying to uh, fix it. And Ozzy had no interest in fixing it. Eventually I could see a case where Ozzy would need to just go somewhere else and start anew under leadership that he could tolerate, you know, just, I could see just natural course of two strong personalities not getting along. But I think he showed with the Marlins, you know, his lesson that he might have learned was that the White Sox front office is a really forgiving place to work. And the White Sox beat core, especially the Fidel Castro comments, White Sox beat writers were a really forgiving bunch to have those kind of jokes with because, you know, they kept things off the record or just, you know, they did not have the same ear that maybe the Miami uh, press had. And they were used to him as a player and they're used to him as a manager. And so he got away with stuff there. But going back to a, you know, that same White Sox front office and ownership uh, that let it go on for so long and the same, you know, White Sox beat core that took a side for him, you know, that, that had some people in his corner uh, and some people against, but ultimately, you know, more, I think, for than against enjoying just the kind of presence and the kind of copy he gave him. Like that doesn't really teach him anything. So, yeah, I could just be, see it being the same case over again, where uh, in short order, we learn why it didn't go right the first time and nobody's fired and it's another toxic situation for months and years. We'll see if the White Sox do make a hire before the month of October. But Jim and I are right now citing that we're going to wait after the World Series until the White Sox make an announcement. So for the White Sox fans that might be growing a bit impatient, you just may have to wait a little bit longer till we find out who officially replaces Tony La Russa as the next manager of the Chicago White Sox. And then we can get into the nitty gritty of what the White Sox will do next in this upcoming offseason to get themselves ready for 2023. But Jim and I will take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but coming up next, Sox Fest is canceled, and the Philadelphia Phillies are going to the World Series. Next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Last week, as the managerial rumors were running hot and heavy, the White Sox did make an announcement that SoxFest 2023 was canceled. That's three straight years the fan convention has been canceled. According to the White Sox, there were a number of reasons why SoxFest will not be happening. But I have a question about this particular situation, Jim. We've both been to SoxFest. It's a fan convention. It's a great opportunity for the White Sox, especially for White Sox fans, to meet current and former players. This is a setting that helps build and grow a fan base. The White Sox are choosing to not have this type of fan engagement. Meanwhile, the Chicago Cubs are continuing to host their Cubs convention, which is January 13th to the 15th. So without Sox Fest, how are the White Sox going to drum up interest with the fan base for next season? They won't. <laughs> just maybe my uh yeah my my leading thought right now is it's uh yeah I mean, i'm not surprised that the white Sox didn't host Sox Fest just because that news typically comes out like at the end of july or at least by the end of august that they've secured a location and dates and there will be names to come and you know seminars to come and you know they'll find out which current and former players will be there but usually it's you know i looked it up past years press releases and usually it's like you know end of july uh by early september at the latest is when they're touting next year's socks fest so you know, it didn't surprise me that they didn't have one. Uh, I'm just more surprised by the lack of reason. Like I thought maybe let's say like, oh, we cannot secure a site or, you know, due to health concerns or logistics, but several factors, like not even trying to come up with one that isn't like our fans hate us. And uh, basically the only question people can ask is, you know, why didn't you run hard? <laughs> That's really, I think, uh, when it comes to like, you know, even current players, like I'm trying to think like, do the White Sox have a fan favorite right now? Well, I think it's Tim Anderson would be a fan favorite. Dylan Cease, I think he's got a lot of fans. Yeah, Dylan Cease, I think is one. But in terms of like guys coming off good seasons without question and, you know, maintaining their 
standing and and you know because you know anderson was hurt also had you know the the stuff that people might ask him about in person <laughs> or like maybe not but who knows like this case where like that's a case where you might not want an unmoderated forum Alois popular with some but also got hurt you know Luis robert popular but also got hurt uh lance lynn popular but got hurt uh lucas Chilito was popular then had a bad season might have been hurt like just Trying to think of guys who are normally there, like Liam Hendricks, I think might be another fan favorite, although closers are always, you know, as good as their last opportunity, really, when it comes to with like the, uh, you know, kind of like kickers in a way. You're only as good as your last opportunity. But yeah, just I'm trying to think of like how many guys, you know, would feel like they know it's coming if they're like sitting in an autograph line for an hour. I can just see like a lot of, uh, you know, engagement, not maybe going well. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. I, I could sense it. You know, beyond, you know, this is a case where like, you know, um, you know, Rick Hahn is getting yelled at and Kenny Williams is getting yelled at and, you know, Frank Menachino, if he's there, or, you know, uh, Ethan Katz, maybe to some degree, like, you know, the, the, the people in charge, like, yeah, that's the obvious reason. Uh, is, you know, Rick Hahn would not want to face the masses because we know that like he just kind of disappears when things aren't going well. You kind of, when, when his uh, prefab answers don't really hold water anymore he doesn't really have a way to go yeah it's you know that's not the place for him and that's probably the leading reason but also i can just see like it not being pleasant for a lot of players you know that's just kind of my read on it, unless they go prospect heavy again i, I don't think if you prospect heavy would draw a lot of interest they had this at mccormick place in 2020 right before the pandemic hit and we being there from a media perspective and being in the media room, everybody just kind of like looked at each other, Jim, and was wondering, like, there's no way the White Sox could continue to have Sox Fest at McCormick Place. Like, there's just too much overhead. This is way too expensive to have this type of event. And they used to have it on the Hilton on Michigan Avenue, inching closer to the South Loop. And I thought that was a, a good location to have such of a an event but then they moved from the hilton to mccormick place and maybe it is a venue issue but i just think the optics it it looks really bad that the chicago cubs are going to continue having their fan convention and the white Sox are not going to have anything Mm -hmm. like that 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 looks really bad tom ricketts uh you know took it took the booing (laughs) Like just, uh, you can say a lot of things about Tom Ricketts and, and, and be right about it. But like, that's a case where like, he's, you know, he took it. Yes. And yeah, their owner speaks at the fan convention while Jerry Reidsdorf kind of hides in the shadows and in the background, uh, at Sox Fest. So unfortunately there won't be Sox Fest. So there won't be an opportunity for white Sox fans to vent their frustration directly at Whoever is going to be available from the White Sox front office. And this would also be a great time to introduce the new manager to White Sox fans and start building that rapport. You're not going to get that opportunity. So you're not going to get that opportunity until spring training. If you decide to go down to Glendale, Arizona uh, for February and March. And yeah, I don't even know if full season ticket holders are going to get an opportunity Uh, to beat the manager at all before the season begins as a full season ticket holder. I have no idea what's going on on the fan engagement side for the Chicago White Sox. We're all kept in the dark right now as they all take our money uh, for our payment plans going into 2023. But this is what I will say. And more money. And and more money. What I will say, and this kind of flows into a lot of the things that we do at Sox Machine, 
with our fan meetups is that if the White Sox are not going to put out this type of effort, we will. And speaking with our friends from the 108, 108 day, January 8th, is something that's very celebrated by them. And we have hosted events at Reggie's, which is in the South Loop in Chicago, not that far away from McCormick Place. The Sox Fest after party was a smashing success. And even with a restricted crowd size, having 108 Day last year was very fun at Reggie's, again, without a Sox Fest. So speaking with them, this is going to happen again. So follow us on Twitter. Keep some of your plans open for early January. Once the venue has been secured, we will have another type of event co-hosted with our friends from the 108. So if there's not going to be Sox Fest, if there's not going to be a you know a couple panels to drum up interest to get White Sox fans excited for 2023, if the White Sox are not going to do it, damn it, we will. Just like with our other fan meetups and etc. So hopefully that gets you hyped. Uh, something to look forward to in early January. When more details come out, we will be making those announcements along with our friends from the 108. So again, keep your calendar open. Uh, for one of the first two weekends of January as we secure a venue. And uh, we also secure panels, and it's always a blast uh, if you can make it to Reggie's in Chicago. What if we got McCormick Place? If we got McCormick Place. We don't have McCormick Place money, Jen. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. That'd be fun. Like Just, be like, just the ultimate, uh, like, what are you doing? Uh, alas, I'm not, uh, <laughs> independently wealthy, unfortunately, very dependently wealthy. If you are independently wealthy, you can support us at patreon.com slash socks machine. So we can rent out McCormick place, uh, at least for a couple of hours. That, that would be, that would be, I'm dependently unwealthy. <laughs> uh, all right. So moving on from the Chicago white Sox, let's talk about what's going on in major league baseball. As we record this blowing back. In the curtain, a Wizard of Oz type of situation, the Houston Astros and New York Yankees are currently tied four runs apiece. So we don't know quite sure at this moment as we're recording if the Houston Astros are going to be in the World Series or if the Yankees prevent the inevitable, it seems, for one additional game. But we know the Philadelphia Phillies are going to the World Series. They won the National League Championship Series at five games. Thanks to a dramatic bottom of the eighth, two-run, go-ahead home run from Bryce Harper when Josh Hader was warming up in the bullpen. I think San Diego Padres manager Bob Melvin wants a do-over with that decision. What's impressive about the Phillies this postseason as a team, they're hitting 237 with a 307 on base percentage, but they're slugging 442. They have the best postseason OPS, better than the Astros. And while the batting average and on-base percentage is not high, it's the quality of hits they have strung together. 23 doubles and 16 home runs in 11 postseason games. That type of power is what helps teams upset the favorites and get to the World Series. We saw that last year with the Atlanta Braves as they hit 23 homers and 20 doubles on their way to the championship. The Phillies have scored 57 runs in 11 postseason games, so they're averaging more than five runs per game in this postseason. Very impressive. Jim, we always knew the Phillies mm -hmm. had a ton of power or at least the potential to have a ton of power, and they are most definitely flexing it this postseason. Do you think they can keep the bats hot for the World Series? 
I'm looking forward to seeing it. Like it's a case where like the Astros are just, you know, we'll see what happens in, in, you know, I wish the game was over so we could talk about it more authoritatively, but like the way the Astros more or less dismantled uh, the Yankees over the first three games of the series, and maybe they'll continue to do so despite a mild bump early on. Like it's a good team. They are top to bottom very good. They execute well. They have depth where even like a Chaz McCormick can step up, even if he's a frontline talent when, you know, guys like Altuve and uh, Jordan Alvarez disappear. But like the way they're playing baseball almost looks like they perfected it over the first three games against the Yankees. So maybe like a team that, you know, it has some, you know, top line talent or like the ability to thump like the Phillies do just could be silenced just the same. But the Phillies, I think, are deeper than the Yankees, what they offer. Like the Yankees just kind of, as Aaron Judge went, uh, so went the Yankees. And we saw at least the Phillies, like they had bullpen problems, they had defense problems, but like Bryce Harper with a thumb issue was down for a while and they found other guys who could step up and, and produce over the course of weeks and months, uh, you know, while Harper was more or less kind of a diminished form of himself. So I think that's one thing that's different about the Yankees versus the Phillies. And, you know, when it's, you know, Hoskins alongside Harper and Schwarber, uh, Castellanos improving, uh, Gene Segura having some, some moments. Like they have some guys who you have to respect the thump like six spots deep, I think. And that's, I think, maybe makes them a bit different than the Yankees who had that for a bit, but then just ultimately like, you know, other guys got hurt. <laughs> guys just stopped performing, maybe age a bit of a factor, just, you know, couldn't ultimately have that kind of depth to hang against the Astros. Uh, assuming that we can talk about the Yankees in the past tense. JT Real Muto also should be yes. giving a shout out, uh, proving that he's still the best catcher yeah. in major league baseball. Yeah. When you forget guys, that's a good sign. <laughs> yes, that's true. Bryce Harper, this postseason gym, is hitting 419. He's slugging 907. He's got five home runs and six doubles this postseason with 11 RBIs. There's going to be a lot of talk in this World Series about Bryce Harper's legacy, that finally he has reached the World Series. We have been hearing about Bryce Harper for a very long time, uh, 15 years where he was this teenage phenom, as a 16-year-old, he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and he enrolls in junior college so he could get drafted number one overall as he's 17 years old. And here he is, is a 30-year-old. He's going to finally get an opportunity to play on the biggest stage and get a chance to be another World Series hero that we have seen over the years with all of the Major League Baseball legends. And you know, we've seen Albert Pujols, he's going to retire, and he's had those opportunities in the World Series to have those moments to help cement his phenomenal career. And one and Mike Trout is the best player of this generation, but the lack of postseason success is used often against him. Be like, oh yeah, it's great that he's amazing in the regular season, but it'd be kind of fun to see him in the postseason so he could have these types of moments that Bryce Harper is providing for himself and the city of Philadelphia. And I found this question to be interesting from Codify, which is the, the Twitter account, and it's the tool that pitchers use to build out heat maps against opposing hitters. And they posted the question, like, what percentage chance right now is Bryce Harper a Hall of Famer? And thinking about it, I would have to say... 
at this stage, he's got a better than 80% chance of making the Hall of Fame, Jim. Is that too high for Bryce Harper at this stage in his career? 285 homers, uh, 42.5 wins above replacement, uh, 142 OPS plus. Like, he's close, um, but when it comes to the injuries, I think that's really the one thing getting in the way. Like, he, as good as he's been, he only has three seasons uh, above five wins above replacement, which, for a short career case, is not enough. Um, like I think even Chase Utley probably had, you know, that many or more, like as somebody who had a late start and had kind of a, like achieved a lot in a little amount of time and, you know, it'd be interested to see how his hall of fame case goes, but like not a great defender has had some elite seasons, but also seasons where he's just kind of okay. And, and also some seasons that were injury shortened. So, uh, he still has some work to do. So I would say like, I, I feel it's more like a 50 to 60% chance, like, if I had a bet, I'd probably say he gets in just because time is still on his side and he hasn't lost any of his top end skills, but just injuries can get in the way mm-hmm. uh, that just, you know, persistently and ultimately like maybe cut it a bit short. Yeah. In the next five seasons, I mean, he's averaging in his career. So 42 and a half war over 11 seasons. It, it's just fascinating. He's, he's 29 years old or this was his age 29 season. And he is in his 11th season in Major League Baseball. Uh, He's 30 years old, and his birthday was last week. His birthday was October 16th for Bryce Harper. Uh, So he's at 30 years old. So if he can continue this pace till he's 35, like I I think he's going to be more than a 60-war player in his career when it's all said and done. Maybe he's better than a 70-war player, which then I, I think that really helps elevate his chances of making the Hall of Fame, but he's definitely on that track. And what's fascinating about this story, and this is what the national media is going to play up, there have been so many teenage phenoms, especially in in the United States, that get promoted a lot about the potential that they have, that they're the next savior for this sport in the United States. Remember Freddie Adu with soccer? He was going to save USA soccer, Jim. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But here's Bryce Harper. And along with like LeBron James, these teenage phenoms that had so much hype to them, maybe too much hype at the time that they were receiving it as teenagers. But it is fascinating on just how Bryce Harper has lived up to the hype. And he continues to do so. And that moment in game five to hit that go ahead home run in front of the Philly crowd to clinch the National League Championships, uh, the National League pennant for the Phillies. It's just been, it's very impressive that he continues to do this and he continues to live up to the heavy expectations that everyone's had on Bryce Harper since he's been a professional baseball player at the age of 19 years old. It is very, very cool. Like, and, and I think that's a word that you really can't often use about baseball in a earnest sense or like a wide ranging sense, like, uh, you know, just because baseball oftentimes is not cool. And sometimes, uh, you know, just, you know, or the debates about, you know, what's cool, bat flipping, um, you know, emotional displays and such like, you know, just, you know, that gets old, the back and forth over like, you know, throw it a guy for, you know, pimping a homer, et cetera, like that. We're still having debates, you know, 10, 15 years after the debate starts. Like there's a lot about baseball and just the inherent, cultural divides within the game age wise, uh, you know, geographic background, like what leagues you grew up playing in. 
going on that just, you know, it's hard to have like a universal ubiquitous cool, but I think like Harper now, you know, given that he is 30 years old, has a little bit of that, you know, elder statesman thing going for him now to where like, I think even we're seeing with Manny Machado, like I think he's too, you know, he's old enough to where like people will like, you know, maybe not call him a punk maybe so much anymore. And I'd be so, uh, you know, I, I guess reflexively call him that because he's been around a long time and he's been you know, proving himself to be a performer year in and year out to where like can't quite just dismiss the talent so easily with one uh, uh, derogatory word. So I think, you know, Harper's getting to the point where just like, yeah, he, you know, he had some down years here and there and maybe disappointed or didn't quite get to the place of the Nationals and the Nationals won it after he left. But like he's trying to get the Phillies there and now the Phillies are there and he's very much the center of it. Like, uh, and, and he's the one delivering in the big moments and he's uh, driving it, but he's not like, he's not making it about him. His talent is just doing that for him. Like he's at the center of everything. And the reason why is because he's performing and the Phillies are performing right behind him and the Phillies love him. The fans love him. Like that's cool. Like that's, that's what you want to see from any uh, team and any big name player. Like that's, that's moments that'll sell jerseys. That's moments that might sell jerseys for a, uh, you know, for a fan that did not like the Phillies before this year. Like that's, that's, that's really what you want to see in that kind of cross sports appeal to where like, even if he didn't like Harper before you have to say like, yeah, he's delivering, uh, the way like, you know, LeBron James, uh, you know, haters, especially like say with the South beach thing, like eventually he had to say like, no, he's really good. <laughs> like even, uh, no matter what I want to say about him, like, yeah, he's, uh, you know, one of the top three, top two NBA players of all time. Like that's, I think what you're getting at. Like Harper isn't there in terms of like, you know, James's place in the game, but that kind of top end talent delivering when it matters for a team that uh, didn't get there and wouldn't be there if it weren't for him. So yeah, that's, that's cool. And the only uncool thing, you know, if you're a White Sox fan is like, he probably should have been a White Sox. Yes. And if the Houston Astros take care of business against the Yankees, and if that is the world series Astros versus Phillies, most of America is going to be on the Philly side, Jim. Most of America will be rooting for Bryce Harper to stay hot and continue to hit bombs against the Houston Astros and watch the Phillies upset the Houston Astros of the World Series because the hate for the Houston Astros mm -hmm. is still strong. Yeah, and, and I think the Phillies would provide a fascinating foil because when you look at the way they're run, like John Middleton, uh, the owner of the Phillies, you know, when he's been criticized, it's been criticized for spending money poorly or getting too attached to uh, maybe front office guys that weren't working or players who weren't working, taking a while to rebuild, the rebuild not going right. But like nobody seemed to question like his attitude and desire to win and wanting to make fans happy. And you have Dave Dombrowski, who I think is universally respected and somebody who, you know, tries to make fans happy. And there's a fascinating thread on Twitter by Brian Bannister, a former Royals pitcher, uh, pitching analytics guy for the Royals and other, um, he was with the Giants now, I forget where he is now, but like son of Floyd Bannister, uh, if you hadn't heard of him or really paid attention to him uh, among the White Sox. He had a, a fascinating Twitter thread about Dombrowski talking about like, you know, after spending five years working directly for Dave Dombrowski with the Red Sox winning the World Series with him in 2018, I think it's worth sharing why he's such a special baseball executive. And I won't read the whole thing. Uh, but one of them, uh, 
Number three is he believes in blue chip players. In today's analytical game, it's often about who wins the trade or dollars per war or any internal evaluation metrics. Baseball teams have become very smart, but this can lead to a lack of trade liquidity. By always waiting patiently for smart trades or avoiding larger free agent contracts, admittedly, it reduces career risk and public scrutiny. But by being willing to lose a trade slightly at times from a valuation perspective, it often gives you access to special players. Dave believes that players with a proven track record have special qualities and will rise to the occasion, especially in the postseason. This occurred when we won the World Series in 2018 and it's occurring for the Phillies right now. This approach is less sustainable long-term, but it can result in juggernaut teams. With Dave, there's no doubt that the only goal is to win a ring. If everybody else at the poker table is playing safe percentages, the person willing to risk more chips can be disrupted. That's, I think, you know, when we're talking about the White Sox and looking at how they approach it, like, yeah, just everything's very safe. There is a lack of liquidity, lack of, you know, making a wrong move. But if you're a con, you make wrong moves, even when being cautious and trying to maintain flexibility, you just spend a lot of time, you know, looking at the wrong moves and kind of living among the smell of them. <laughs> like it doesn't go anywhere. There's no, there's no airflow with better moves ushering, you know, maybe a different smell in for lack of a better word. And I'll abandon this analogy very quickly. But when it comes to like just that idea of trying to make fans happy, swing big, maybe be inefficient, whereas the Astros are brutally efficient, you know, and ultimately in ways that makes the team well, but also like, as we saw with the whole Jeff Lunau thing, like, you know, transgressions, uh, breaking rules, um, you know, having a kind of paranoia about like, you know, uh, other teams must be breaking rules the way we are because every team must be as smart as we are because, you know, every team needs to be as efficient and you're kind of as cold blooded as we are. Um, you know, that's kind of the opposite approach. They've done that very well. I think the Phillies, you know, maybe probably more messily. Than, uh, most teams want to run their teams, but I think Dave Dombrowski does get messy at times trying to win big, but ultimately I think it is a fan pleasing experience. Like I think you look at every place he's been you know, the Tigers, Red Sox, uh, you know, now with the Phillies, Marlins before that, like I imagine everybody who watched, you know, one of his teams really liked rooting for his teams. Maybe not the last two iterations of his teams when the payroll got messy or the teams got old, but ultimately like they had to respect what he did. So I think, you know, if he had the Phillies going up against the Astros, that's uh, two teams where like, you know, one is just ultimately trying to win in a way that makes fans excited, even if it ultimately, you know, leads to dead ends along the way, whereas the Astros seem impervious to dead ends, but also the way they've done business has been very uh, questionable at best, a, and a lot of times ethically and interpersonally, and uh, not really a model you want to emulate. Let's see if the Phillies can stay hot, because if they're going to knock out the Houston Astros are going to have to do do it the way that the Atlanta Braves did last year and continue to hit for a lot of power and continue to hit a lot of home runs. And one of those players to continue hitting home runs, they still need Bryce Harper to have one more great series in him. And he's already having an awesome postseason for Philadelphia. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. Where our Patreon supporters, they get more. 
As a matter of fact, we're going to be hosting our first town hall ever for Sox Machine with our Patreon supporters on Tuesday, October 25th to talk about our 2022 achievements and some of the announcements that we have for the upcoming 2023 season. And our Patreon supporters, they get access to that town hall. They also get exclusive content from us and ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. And speaking of Sox, Sox Machine swag, how are the scarves doing, Jim? Well, they're, they're, they're heading out in a steady fashion. I've sent a, a few out internationally, and I should say for our international listeners that if you're interested right now with the uh, Sox Machine store, I do not have international sales set up because I don't quite, uh, you know, I, I don't feel confident in the shipping estimates and such for internationally. But if you're interested and you live outside the United States, please let me know. Um, yeah, I just, uh, the, the USPS calculators online have been accurate and such. And, uh, you know, so far, so good. And uh, I'll be happy to arrange like a side sale, send you an invoice and such and do it outside the store. But happy to send them internationally if you're willing to pay the shipping rates. There you go. And again, you could sign up at patreon.com slash machine. Monthly plans start at $2 or you could save with an annual subscription. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all of things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com